Uh, Will you turn with me to the passage that we read in Ephesians? And for a few moments we'll read again from the beginning of chapter 6. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6 at the beginning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now when we consider that Paul begins this letter that he uh, is sending on us to what he describes as the saints who are in Ephesus, he addresses this letter to the saints who are in Ephesus. That means this congregation of God's people in Ephesus He wrote this letter to them. And it's significant when you take account of that and that description that he is including in that these children that he's now addressing in chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, Paul didn't regard the children of that church in Ephesus as somehow loosely attached to that congregation and not actually in any visible sense a membership of it. He's addressing them here directly themselves as part of that congregation, meaningfully part of that congregation. And it's something that we always seek to emphasize and to try and put across in preaching the gospel that our children, as covenant children, our children brought up in the church, baptized children into the visible church, that they are indeed part of, already part of the church and have that membership by baptism that we can call a confederate membership in contrast to a communicant membership which we pray will indeed take place later on in their life. And it's significant therefore that there are quite a number of children here today in this congregation who are here worshipping God with parents or grandparents or friends because these words are addressed to you as children as we read the first part of this passage in verses 1 and 3, 1 to 3. And then it addresses the fathers who are regarded by the apostle in keeping with the rest of scripture as having a leadership in the family and responsibilities therefore that are incumbent upon them as leaders within the relationship of marriage and within the parenthood that belongs to them along with wives. And that is the second part of the passage that we're going to look at them at later on. So here is first of all uh, an argument towards the children and secondly, an argument towards the parents or towards the fathers in particular. But there are three arguments really in the passage that we can see uh, uh, Paul is setting out for us. First of all, there's an argument from God's norm. A norm is something which is established as a standard uh, to which people are advised or counseled to correspond. And in this case, we're talking about God's norm. God has a norm, God has a standard which he applies to us as individuals, which he applies to marriages, which he applies to families. We're saying here that here is an argument from God's norm because that's in the words, this is right. Obey your parents, children in the Lord, for this is right. This is according to God's standard, God's norm, God's established norm. Second argument is an argument from God's law and his promise. 
where he says this is the first commandment with a promise. He's talking there of the fifth commandment, which speaks of honoring your father and mother. This is the first commandment, he says, with a promise. So there's an argument there, secondly, from God's law and a promise attached to it. And thirdly, there's an argument, especially when we come to look at the words uh, in the Lord, and then as he speaks to the fathers, bring them up in the nurture or discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the Lord, of the Lord. There's an argument from God's grace, because as that is established in Christ, as that is seen to be in Christ, as Christ is central to the way God's grace has brought us salvation, well, here's an argument from God's grace to live Christ-centered lives and especially for parents to be nurturing parents, parents who nurture their children in the instruction, the discipline and instruction of the Lord, centered on, founded on Christ himself, the grace of God. An argument from God's norm then, first of all. Saying here to children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And when he says, this is right, he doesn't just mean this is the right thing to do, this is the correct thing to do, that's obviously part of it. Uh, that's part of the meaning of this is right. It is the right thing to do, but it's wider than that. It's a, it's a thing that goes deeper than that. And when he says this is right, he means this is righteous. This is in accordance with God's standard. This is what God himself has laid down for us. As children, we are to obey our parents in the Lord. Of course, that presupposes uh, that our parents are bringing us up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. And where that is the case, what he's saying is, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. It accords with what God has established. Now, it is important, um, before we go further, that we see that God's norm is... Uh, something that applies to other parts of the family and family life as well. That's why you find um, in this passage itself um, that God is addressing through the apostle wives, husbands, um, families in that sense, and now moves to, to children and then moves on in those days to those who are slaves or servants within, within the, the home as well. He says this is right because this is all part of God's created order. This is how God established things at the beginning after he had created human life, after he had created the relationship of marriage, after he had created that setting for family life. This is right. This is God's norm. This is God's norm for um, children. This is God's norm for the family. This is God's norm for family relationship. So he's teaching us here, and this is something for the children to take, uh, to take on board especially, when the Bible is saying to us here that uh, this is right, this is God's norm, to, to obey your parents, he's really saying that obeying our parents arises out of our love for God's standard. It's not simply our love for them as parents, though of course that's important. But our love for God's standard, for what God has established, for what God himself has set for us, for God's norm. It's that love for him and for his standard that leads to our love for one another, whether it's as parents to children, children to parents, husbands to wives, wives to family, or even out with that our love for other people. It's God's norm and a love for God's love. In other words, 
today when we seeking to obey your parents, when you seek to obey your parents, when you seek to live by that standard, you're doing so because that is what God expects of you, because that is what God has done. And when you, um, when you move away from God's norm, whether it's in, uh, in terms of children to parents or parents to each other or uh, ourselves in relation to society at large, moving away from any of God's norms that he has set will always be damaging for us will always bring something negative, something that's destructive to some extent into our experience, into our life. And that, of course, is true of the family as well. Because when you look at the Bible, when you find uh, here and elsewhere, going right back into Old Testament times, as we say, right to, to creation, you'll find that the family unit as a unit is set as the basic or the central unit in society. It's the core unit in society. And there's a reason for us mentioning that, not just because it's in the Bible, but because it is very largely attacked nowadays in our own society. Of course, there are exceptions to family life in the sense in which singleness is mentioned in the Bible. Those who are not married, those who end up not married throughout the whole course of life, it's an exception to marriage, but it, it has its own norm. God has established his norm for singleness just as he has for, for the marriage relationship. And the norm for singleness is mentioned elsewhere by Paul as something that has its own advantages, something that uh, leads a person to have, uh, in, in the way that they don't have responsibilities as in a family life, as in a marriage setting, they are able to give more concentration to the things of God, for example. So, so singleness is important in its own right. It's not something to be treated as an aberration, although it's an exception to the marriage relationship and to the family relationship. But it has its own importance. We're saying just that in passing, but it's, it's still nevertheless important to say so. But the family as God's norm has established a family and family relationships. Well, in the Bible you find that the norm of the family, as it's made up of husband, wife, and children, though sometimes, of course, there aren't children, that's the norm, that's the core unit of society. And as that's the core unit for society, that's why it's important for us to appreciate that and to protect that and to promote that and to actually uh, stand against every effort that's made to undermine it or to change that uh, norm that God has set into something else, whether it's in terms of, of gender, whether it's in terms of same-sex marriage, whether it's in terms of other things that are themselves out of keeping with what God's Word sets before us, the norm of the family, like the norm of sing singleness and the norm of marriage is God's norm. And it's God's norm that is good for human life, for human society, individually and collectively. So, obedient children are in accordance with God's norm. Obedience is as God has set it, for this is right. So your children, you children today, have a huge advantage knowing the gospel, knowing what the teaching of God's word is, but this is, in fact, why you are 
called on to obey your parents because God is saying this is right this is how I've established it this is my standard you do it out of love for me as well as love for your parents and when he says obey your parents that actually means much more than that they just obey them in a kind of mechanical way remember the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2 he is the supreme example of what it is for children to obey their parents he was then 12 years of age remember they had gone to Jerusalem he had gone along with Joseph and Mary his mother to Jerusalem at a particular festival time and uh, they had set out for home and hadn't realized that he wasn't with them there would be a large crowd of course difficult to um, keep sight of, of children maybe he, they thought he was with somebody else but in any case when they realized that he wasn't with them they made their way back and they found him in the temple and he was in the temple actually teaching experts in the law of God the doctors of the law the experts in the law there he was answering their questions teaching them these profound things out of the law of God now he could do that because he's the son of God because it's his law for a start and you remember that Mary his mother scolded him somewhat and uh, said was he not concerned that his father and herself had been anxious over him and been looking for him and of course he replied do you not realize that I must be about my father's business by that he meant God the father and then the remarkable thing is you read that he went home with them and was subject to them he was subject to them the son of God God himself having come into this world in the person of Jesus Christ taking our human nature to himself becoming human there he is in the 12 year old Jesus and that God man the son of God is at that point said to have gone home and been subject to his parents to obey his parents because you see the Lord placed himself under God's norm he hadn't come into the world to stand outside of God's norm as if he was going to be an exception to it as a human being. No, he came to be born into a family. He came to be raised as a child. He's 12 years of age and though he's able to dispute with the doctors of the law, he is still under the norm of obedience to his parents. Now, if Jesus Christ lived in that uh, stage of his life in obedience to his parents to Joseph and to his human mother Mary that surely sets the benchmark for our obedience to our parents as well and if you go forward to second Timothy which Paul wrote towards the end of his uh, ministry the end of his, towards the end of his life indeed in this world in chapter 3 of second Timothy he uh, speaks about things that will take place uh, in the last days as he puts it now, the last days mean the time between the ascension of Jesus and his return when he will return these are the last days so we are actually in the last days doesn't just mean uh, the few years before Jesus comes whenever that will be it means from that point right through to his coming the last days what does he say he says in the last days there will come times of difficulty Remember, he's counseling Timothy as somebody who's going to go on in his own ministry once Paul is gone. 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now I've missed one out. In the middle of that list, you find this disobedient to their parents. In other words, Paul was saying, the last days are going to be marked by disobedience to parents, among other things. So what he's saying there is that disobedience to parents really is, is itself, when you find it widespread, it's really a mark of an ungodly society. It's one of the marks, among many, that people have departed from the norms of God, that they're no longer subject to the law of God, the word of God, the standard of God. They're lovers of self, as that passage put it. When you become a lover of yourself, you become a lover of your own opinions, and you put them above those of God. And Paul is saying to Timothy, take note of this. That's what you're going to face in the last days. That's what we're facing today as well. It's not new, but it's not gone away. There are those who are disobedient to parents. What Paul is saying in Ephesians is the church's children must seek to be different. The church's children know better. The church's children have the advantage of knowing the gospel, knowing the teaching of God's word, knowing the advantage of being brought up in a gospel home. Because of that, not only are they to be different to the children of the world, they are to be the alternative, the positive alternative to the children of the world. They are to be themselves by their obedience to parents, among other things. An example to the children of the world. So today, children, here's an argument from God's norm for you. Obedience to parents is right, God is saying. There's an argument, secondly, though, from God's law and His promise. And again, this involves the children too. Honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise. Now you can see that from that, Paul is now going beyond the matter of mere obedience because more is required of us in relation to our parents than obedience. Obedience is right, but he's also saying this is important. Honor your father and your mother. It's not simply being in obedience to them. You have to honor them. You have to promote their honor. You have to show um, respect for them. And indeed, when it comes to their own old age, you have to honor them by looking after them as far as possible until such time as, in some cases, of course, that becomes impossible. And we need others to help with, with doing that. But in this case, he's saying, honor your father and mother. It means that you listen to your parents because they've been on the road longer than you have. It means that they, that they know best in the things of life as to how you are to think, how you are to act, what you are to say, how you are not to say things. So listen to your parents. Uh, don't uh, think, especially as you come to your teenage years, that somehow or other your parents are out of touch with life. Well, they may be out of touch with what's uh, the latest um, entry into the pop charts or whatever, 
but they're not out of touch with life and with the crucial issues of life what is good and what is bad well, listen to your parents mark what they're saying to you especially when they're talking from their own experience of life it's not honoring to them if you don't listen to them it's not honoring to them if you think you know better than they do honor your parents again it's as we'll see it's in the Lord but then he adds for this is the first commandment with a promise now why does he say that and what does he mean by that well, he's going back to the ten commandments where you find the fifth commandment honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you that's what Paul is picking up here the fifth commandment and by the way that itself shows us that because he's dealing with the ten commandments or one of them and he's going back to that unit of the ten commandments it really shows us that not obeying our parents or for parents to be abusive to children is a sin in the eyes of God it's a breaking of God's law it's something for which we need to seek God's forgiveness so when he's saying obey your parents for this is right and now honor your father and mother this is the first commandment it is a commandment it is something that God requires of us it is something that God has included in the moral laws we put it in the ten commandments or the moral law as, it, as it's usually spoken of but he's saying this is the first commandment with a promise why is he saying the first commandment with a promise when it's actually the only commandment with a promise when you look through the list of the ten commandments as you have them there um, in uh, Exodus chapter 20 uh, when they were first given you'll find as you go through them the fifth commandment is actually the only commandment that has a promise attached to it the promise is that it will go well with them that they may live long in the land that God is to give is giving to them the land of Canaan in those days and now Paul is picking up that and saying that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land so obviously it doesn't mean in the land of Canaan because that's not where the Ephesians were there's something else to this more than just geographical or something that applied only to, to Israel and the people of Israel way back in those days of Moses what he really means is picking up the essence or the principle of the commandment is that this is a life that will truly be satisfying to you it doesn't mean you live for a hundred years it doesn't mean you live a long life at all but it means however long you live this is the way to a satisfactory life for you as children to honor your parents to live in a way that obeys them that acknowledges with respect their parentage of you and the privilege of having people such as your parents to bring you up in the ways of the Lord in other words this is the number one commandment in this sense that it's the only one with a promise and this promise attached to it you know sometimes and your children will come across this um, yourselves amongst your own age group and even uh, as you go to school and as you go about various things you'll come across the idea that the Ten Commandments are terribly old-fashioned and out of date and really very restrictive and that it would be far better for you just to do away with this, these things like the Ten Commandments or even the whole Bible itself and just live your life properly uh, live your life in a way that really enjoys freedom from these things well you know this if you want security in your life if, to, if you want to feel really secure and be really secure 
if you want to have a proper foundation on which you can feel secure, you have that in God's law. God gave that to us so that we would have our security in obedience to himself. Once you're outside of obedience to yourself, whatever security you have in terms of your own thinking, in terms of what the world thinks, you have none in the presence of God. None whatsoever. Because God regards you when you've gone out with his law and rejected his law, and if, uh, if, as people do, they just simply say, that's no longer relevant to the society we live in, well, God has something against you. And if God has something against us, we've got to deal with that as a matter of urgency. We've got to seek his forgiveness and approval because every transgression of the law deserves his wrath and curse and judgment forever. But he's provided Jesus for us. He's provided forgiveness for us. So that when we know ourselves to be sinners, breakers of his law, we find forgiveness and acceptance and security within Christ. But this law doesn't go away. It's still there as a framework that sets out God's standard, God's norm for human life. And although we're not accepted by God because we obey God's law, we're accepted in, in, uh, by God because of what Jesus has done, nevertheless, our acceptance by God does not do away with the law of God in every sense. So this is the first commandment with promise. And when you children want satisfaction and contentment and security in your lives as you do, well, here's where you find it. In obeying your parents, for this is right. In honoring your father and mother, for this is God's commandment with a promise. So there's an argument from God's norm, this is right. There's secondly an argument from God's law and promise, for this is the first commandment with promise. But thirdly, there's an argument, and now he's addressing fathers and parents in that included. Fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture or discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is an argument from God's grace. You'll notice there um, in the first uh, part of the first verse there, the, uh, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, when it's addressing parents, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you can see from that itself how central the Lord Jesus Christ should be to your life personally and to your relationship with other people. How central the Lord Jesus Christ should be in all our relationships. That's why um, when you come, as we began reading there at chapter 5, uh, where he's applying all the various teachings and doctrines of of this epistle up to that point. Um, he comes there to address wives. He then comes to address, uh, uh, he comes to address husbands. And then as parents, he comes to address them in relation to their children. He comes to address the children themselves. They're all part of what um, God through the apostle is addressing in terms of their relationships to each other. And all the way through that you find in the Lord, of the Lord. Jesus Christ is to be central to our lives individually and to our relationships in marriage, in parenthood, in children to parents relationships and in relationships out with that too. There's the question for me today. Is Jesus central to my life? Is Jesus foundational 
to the life that I'm seeking to live. That's asking far more than just, do I go to church every week? Because it's possible to do that, good though that undoubtedly is, without having Jesus central in your life, without basing your life on Jesus, without availing yourself of the grace of God in Him for your salvation, for your eternity, for your eternal security. That's the question for you too, as well as for me today, just because I'm standing in a pulpit and have another minister behind me here who also stands in this pulpit. We can't come to this pulpit and simply say, this kind of question no longer applies to ourselves. Is Jesus central to my life? Is Jesus central to what we're trying to do in preaching the gospel? What we're trying to be as pastors in the church of God? Is Jesus central to that? He ought to be, he should be, he has to be. Otherwise, we're not fulfilling our place and our responsibility as we should. Is Jesus central, foundational in your life today? Do you need to put things back in place? If you've gone away from that, or if that's never been the case, is it not an occasion for you today to just take in what God is saying in a kindness and in a love and in a tactful way toward you? And I hope I'm mirroring that in presenting this truth in His name. He has to be central foundational if our life is to be what it should this is our chief end isn't it as the first catechism puts it our, uh, the chief purpose for why we were created what is it to glorify God and to enjoy him forever don't leave out the first part by focusing on the second part don't be taken up with enjoyment of God at the expense of glorifying him but don't leave the second part out either God has created us to enjoy him to love communion with Him, to be in fellowship with Him. It's our greatest privilege of all. And so he's saying here to fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You can see how that has a two-sided emphasis to it. There's the negative side, don't do this, and then there's the positive, but do this instead. What is he saying? He's saying, don't Provoke your children to anger. There's a whole lot in this that obviously I haven't got time because I was concerned to speak a lot to the children today who are here, but uh, this obviously is important as well. When he's saying provoke not your children to anger, what he's saying essentially is don't exasperate them. Don't discipline them or bring them up in such a way that makes them resentful, that makes them uh, uh, rebel, that makes them exasperated against the things of the gospel or, or the things of God. When you're teaching them, explain to them what it is you're doing. When you come to discipline them, explain why you're doing this. Don't let your discipline be a selfish one. Don't do it just for your own ends. We're all guilty of that as parents or grandparents, that we uh, actually carry out discipline when it's necessary, as it sometimes is. But very often self is part of that, isn't it? It's so hard to keep self out of it. So hard to keep your own anger out of it, to keep uh, um, your own selfish concerns out of it. And something else, listen to the child's case. Don't just accept somebody else's word about your child. I remember uh, a child once in school uh, coming home to their parents and saying the teacher had uh, want, wanted uh, the parents to go and uh, meet with them because something had happened in the school where they were 
um, where they were actually being um, badly behaved as, as it appeared and um, when the uh, child came home with that request from the school um, let's just pause a wee moment Okay, this is our tweenies and our younger group uh, and please don't regard that as an interruption from what I was saying earlier this is not an interruption uh, it's just an expression of what it means to belong to the church they are part of the church already so it's not an interruption and it's great to see them coming to join the service at this point so we're talking about how uh, parents or how fathers here are addressed as not um, provoking their children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord uh, and one of the things I was saying there was to listen to them as well. Of course, they don't always tell the truth. But sometimes they do, even though it contradicts what other people say. And I was talking about the child who came home and uh, said that uh, the school wanted the parents to go and meet with the teacher because they had been misbehaving and uh, had been reported by another pupil for doing so. And so the parents went to the school, listened to what the teacher had to say, and sounded very convincing. And even though it was somewhat out of character, when uh, they came home to the child again, that child was scolded. And uh, it ought not to have been scolded without first having been listened to. And it actually turned out the child was telling the truth. Uh, and these were actually stories that had been concocted. There might have been an element of truth in them, but they had been largely exaggerated, and the teacher had accepted that. And the child's own word had been dismissed. Now, you can imagine how damaging that would be for a child and especially not being accepted by their parents first of all so listen to the child if it happens they're not telling the truth well fair enough but give them the opportunity to explain as part of the disciplinary process that we need to carry out with our children so what he's saying here is bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord now this is it's not just a conveying of words or truth by words. It's also setting an example to them. And the general idea in that is really to bring a shape to their lives. Because it's the whole idea of training. The word is used there in the, the discipline and instruction. The training and instruction or nurture of the Lord. It's, it's a training school. It's trying to bring a shape to their lives by conveying to them the Bible's teaching. That's essentially what it is. And as you do that in the Lord and for the Lord, you pray that the Lord will bless that to the child. And that as the child comes to grow up, as our children grow up in our family settings and in the church as well, they will come to appreciate the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. They will come and turn out to be uh, not generally uh, of a good moral standing, good though that is, because this is more than just conveying to them a general morality, but that they will turn out to be righteous and holy children, children who will value being based on Jesus Christ and will come 
to, to themselves thank God for the instruction that they received from covenant parents and from being part of the church of Jesus Christ in this life. Let's just bow for prayer. Lord our God, uh, we do thank you for the way in which we have so much of advantage in the gospel. Uh, we thank you today for your ownership of the gospel and of the life of your people. We pray for grace as parents, grandparents and children and relatives to be what we should be in your sight and to be what we should be in relation to each other. Grant us then your blessing, we pray now in the remainder of the service. Continue with us for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm going to sing some verses now from Psalm 115. And this time it's on page 153 from Sing Psalms. We sing from verse 9. Uh, verses uh, 9 to 11 is what you have in the bulletin. It should be 9 to 18. So if the, if the presenter can please bear that in mind. It's verses 9 to 18 on page 153. O house of Israel, place your trust upon the Lord alone. He is the mighty help and shield of all who are his own. To the end of verse 18, and we'll stand again to sing. <coughs> O house of Israel, place your trust upon the Lord
Please be seated. Can I ask the parents?